This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. My name is Germ, this is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. Wow, had some gremlins there. Looks like we are up and running. I am joined in the trenches by Jeremy Kuzmarov, is that right? Yep. Yeah, Covert Action Magazine was founded in the 1970s by CIA whistleblower Philip Agee, <coughs> who wrote the book called Inside the Company, uh, CIA Diary, which ironically, I think the CIA even uh, uh, assigned to some of its recruits at one point because it was such an accurate uh, diary and uh, you know reflection of what the CIA did on a daily basis. But the book was, you know, very critical of what the CIA was doing. And, you know, Philip Agee worked in, in various Latin American countries, including Ecuador and Uruguay and Mexico. And he discussed basically how they were uh, adopting illegal uh, methods to overthrow governments uh, that were left-leaning or that would challenge, you know, the power and influence of U.S. multinational corporations. Uh, and how they, you know, were employing torture against dissident groups like the Tupamaro in Uruguay. So it's a very uh, a critical book. And A.G., uh, after he published the book, he helped found this magazine, which uh, originally had a naming names column that was devoted to outing CIA agents. And he considered the CIA the criminal conspiracy that had violated the U.S. Constitution. You know, he fashioned himself an American patriot, uh, even until his death, uh, and he felt that the CIA had betrayed American democratic values and, and was violating the law, and that it was a responsibility to expose not just what the CIA was doing and its nefarious activities uh, throughout the world, but also to out the criminals who were working for the CIA. That sounds a little bit dangerous. Oh, yeah. He was, uh, you know, he had a difficult life, uh, <laughs> the agency, you know, pursued a vendetta against him. I mean, he believed they were, they were going to kill him. I don't know if there were ever attempts to assassinate him. I, 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 they may have drawn up some plans to do so. And he was, you know, like public enemy number one. He was demonized, you know, in the media. And he uh, was forced to leave the United States. And he lived most of his life in, in Europe. Uh, and he wrote a book called On the Run about how the CIA was harassing him and uh, went after him, and um, he ended up uh, in Cuba working in the tourism industry. But yeah, I know it was hard on his kids. Yeah, he had two kids, and one uh, helped to re reestablish Covert Action Magazine a few years ago as a webzine, but they grew up with this, uh, and he was divorced. Their, the mother lived in, in Virginia, uh, and there was, I think, a custody battle, and for some time, they spent a bit of time with him in Europe, but they were kind of on the run, you know, with him on the run, because he, he was harassed out of various countries, like he was, I think he was in England, but then they, they forced him out of England, and he ended up residing in Germany for a while. But he had, yeah, he faced very a lot of difficulties. You have to have serious hair on your arms to do that kind of work, though. Yeah, he's a very courageous guy, and in many ways, you know, time has shown the you know the rightness of the cause he was championing and that the CIA was indeed you know a nefarious organization that has subverted and corrupted American democracy and we've seen that 
you know, besides all the terrible thing they've done around the world to really destabilize uh, many different countries and to empower repressive right-wing dictatorships. And then within the United States, I mean, just look at the Russia gate. You know, the CIA was behind that uh, operation, which was a you know, brazen attempt to remove a, a U.S. president based on disinformation and to drum, you know, whether one likes the president or not, the fact is uh, that the, the tactics used were unethical, if not uh, blatantly illegal, and also to drum up anti-Russian hysteria uh, that's leading to you know billions of dollars of aid, uh, military aid going to the Ukrainian government, uh, which is a very corrupt government and uh, employs you know neo-Nazi militias. And it's threatening a world war. I mean, Russia's placed, you know, been placed on nuclear alert, and you know, it's a very dangerous world situation. And the Russia Gate helped create that environment in the United States of demonizing Russia and Putin, and trying to link Russia to allegedly, you know, the theft of an election, and claiming that that Trump was a Manchurian candidate without any evidence. And so, I mean, this is just an example of how the CIA perverts democracy within the United States and, and poisons the entire political culture. And that's what AG was you know, exposing all those years ago, how they were doing all these kind of unethical things. They were deceiving the American public through psyops and they were uh, you know, causing uh, chaos and catastrophe in numerous countries worldwide. And that's something you can trace also today. You know, the CIA had been very active, for instance, in Ukraine uh, in the coup in 2014 that caused this current crisis that could escalate into a world or nuclear war. And the CIA is continuously active in, in Latin America and trying to sabotage uh, legitimate governments, uh, whether Venezuela or Nicaragua or Cuba. Uh, so I think it's obvious mm -hmm. to more and more people that AG was right. But as you say, yeah, it, was, it took a lot of courage on his part uh, in that era to speak out and, and to basically risk his own life and, and compromise aspects of his life to speak out for the truth. And he's a real hero like some you know, people today, like Julian Assange, who's also mm. paid the price for his truth-telling. Well, he hasn't paid the price. Well, I suppose he's paid some price, but I guess, I guess it's game over if he comes back to the U.S., for Assange, yeah. And look at the torture he's endured in jail. Uh, you know, these people aren't, aren't playing games. They want him, you know, to suffer. For I mean, the, the WikiLeaks kind of did what AG did. It kind of humiliated the U.S. government and some other governments by exposing corruption, by exposing war crimes, by exposing lies and deceit. And they want him to, to, to suffer for humiliating them. And he's been tortured in jail. And, yeah, if he comes to the U.S., He'll be in jail for life. How big is the CIA actually? Well, it's not just the CIA. What's evolved since AG's time is that the whole intelligence apparatus has expanded exponentially. Uh, so you have 16 different intelligence agencies now. The CIA is just one of those uh, agencies. And it's just this kind of labyrinth or octopus. And it's you know, enacted a mass surveillance state. Uh, even you know, unprecedented, even from from that era, uh, and they're involved. Yeah, in, in I think increasingly interference within U.S. politics, uh, as well as manipulation, interference in many foreign countries, and that mass surveillance uh, on a level uh, far greater even uh, than the 1970s. Yeah, I think what I'm 
what I'm trying to figure out is the CIA is essentially a government agency, right? But it seems to yeah. act. Yeah, but it seems to be autonomous. Well, it, it is. Uh, it should be acknowledged that the CIA is really the arm of the executive branch of the U.S. government, and, and it's their instrument, and they're, it's their basically, uh, you know, their uh, their army. I mean, uh, you know, the the U.S. government was set up. And that's one thing AG point out. I mean, the the American founding fathers, you know, whatever flaws you can say about them or racism, but they did set up a good system, you know, in theory, of a separation of powers, executive, uh, legislative, judicial branch. But that's been compromised. And that was, I think, part of AG's major point is that the executive branch had become too powerful because they were able to deploy the CIA, basically their private army, uh, to carry out covert operation, their interests around the world, and, and to hijack the American democratic system of government. And you see that with, with something like Russiagate, where they're trying to manipulate American politics. And the Congress has become impotent to challenge the power uh, of the executive branch. So I wouldn't say they're independent. Yeah, they're, they're controlled by the executive branch of government. Uh, and they've uh, created a kind of tyranny uh, in the country that was contrary to the ideals of the American founding fathers am i right though in saying that the cia generally has more power than the president well uh, yeah they can uh, you know in their own way they can you know try and influence uh you know who's in power and they they can manipulate the politic to ensure they get you know the right people in power but they could also be used by those people in power to serve their own interest and agenda mm. I think like Clinton was using the CIA to try and undermine her rival Trump, uh, and each party, you know, has done that in the past. I mean, the, the Reagan administration has used the CIA. Uh, you know, there were the October surprise, and there had been a vendetta against Jimmy Carter. Uh, so th there was a kind of symbiotic relationship. But yeah, I mean, any president who challenges the power of the so-called you know deep state or military-industrial complex. The CIA had the means to remove that president, whether it's through and, and in his own way, Trump did challenge it. Now, yes. I don't think Trump I was, was just going to ask. Yeah, he's not a pacifist by any stretch, uh, but in his own way, he, he wasn't uh, operating the way they, they would expect and they wanted. And so they didn't like him, and there were all these ways, they were, you know, all these methods they were adopting to try and remove him. Just like you had, you know, John F. Kennedy in his own way was pushing mm -hmm. for more uh, pacifist, you know, he was pushing for detente a decade before Nixon, and so-called deep state and CIA didn't want that, and that's probably why he was assassinated, although there, could, there was also perhaps, you know, uh, inter-elite rivalries at play there. Then, you know, Jimmy Carter had tried to cut the budget of the CIA and was, was shifting U.S. foreign policy a little bit. Uh, so the CIA moved against him and, and to support Reagan. So, yeah, it is a, a complex, I think, dynamic there where, where the CIA is so powerful that they can manipulate who's in the White House and who's in control of the executive branch. At the same time, the executive branch is using them for their own purpose and, and their own power and rendering Congress and the legislative branch uh, increasingly impotent because the, the CIA, I think, infiltrated Congress and crafted legislation to weaken Congress's ability uh, to establish oversight over the CIA. 
Like there had been efforts in the mid 70s to do that and certain bills that were passed to limit the CIA's ability to carry out covert operations or to have more oversight. But over mm-hmm. time, all those congressmen mysteriously, you know, felt uh, were removed from from power. You know, they they were defeated in congressional races, and the momentum shifted back towards re-empowering the executive branch and uh, basically um, making you know Congress more and more impotent. And most most congressmen are bought off uh, by either military industry uh, or they they're simply too afraid to challenge the powers of the CIA and the executive in any way. Is that what happened with McCarthy? Well, Joseph McCarthy? Yeah, in 1960, what is it? Eight, seven, forget now. Oh, are you, um, are you talking about Eugene McCarthy? Or, or yes, Joseph yes, McCarthy? yes. Sorry, Eugene. Well, Eugene was a kind of mild liberal, but yeah, he was going against the Vietnam War. I mean, I think in the late 60s, you had the uh, uh, anti-war movement and growing pacifist sentiment that was starting to challenge the uh, powers that be. And there was a tremendous backlash against that. And it started, and part of it was the assassination of Robert Kennedy uh, uh, that enabled, you know, uh, Dick Nixon's election. And I think there are many things, you can look at the, uh, you know, the Manson murder. There there are many uh, measures that the CIA took uh, to carry out, I think, a psyops on the American public to uh, create a negative association with the 60s era movements. So one would be the Manson. There, uh, I think there's evidence emerging that the Manson, um, uh, this guy Manson who killed, you know, uh, these famous Hollywood actresses, and he was, there was a connection between him and like the hippies. You talk, sorry, you talk about, these, sorry, you talk about Charles Manson. Charles Manson, mm. yeah. I, I believe these may have been CIA psyops to uh, discredit the 60s movements. You know, then you had the Weather Underground. You know, SDS was a reformist organization that was pushing for more left-wing liberal politics and like end the Vietnam War, end the arms race. And what happened was that this group called the Weather Underground hijacked the uh, Students for Democratic Society. And this was an ultra left-wing radical group that carried out like counterproductive protests to alienate the American public, including like bombing. They were carrying out bombings uh, across the country and, you know, they alienated themselves. And that was probably deliberate. When one reason, actually, they were never prosecuted, like leading weather underground operative like Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dorn got off because the uh, FBI had infiltrated the organization so thoroughly and committed all kinds of illegalities but it raised the question for many people that, or you know, belief that the FBI was basically running the weather underground, and it, it was designed to destroy the Students for Democratic Society, which could have been an effective organization to transform American politics in a more liberal, progressive direction. Uh, and even their suspicion that Ayers was part of the CIA himself, because uh, again, he never got jail time. He was like the the head of the weather underground that was planting bombs everywhere, and three people got killed in their organization when it went off in the townhouse, and somehow he got a slap on the wrist. He never served any jail time. He became a, a fancy professor, and he was tied with uh, uh, Barack Obama, who also has a background in the CIA. And, and if you read Obama's memoir, uh, Dreams from My Father, there's a whole section where he mocks the uh, 60s-era movements and Stokely Carmichael. So if you start to think about it, 
you think there's like this maybe coordinated campaign to uh, try and discredit those movements of the 60s that were, you know, pushing U.S. foreign policy in a much more humane, you know, direction, you know, moving toward more uh, anti-interventionist policy, more more sensible foreign policy where the U.S. would, you know, coexist with major powers like Russia and China and just be a regular country, not not the kind of country we see that's going around the world invading other countries. Empire. Uh, you Empire. know, going crazy with the CIA, you know, Syria, Ukraine. Mm. And look at the results, you know, they're igniting conflicts everywhere. And, you know, history could have possibly turned out different, but the CIA, I think, was in part able to manipulate it. And, you know, and then you had these senators in the 70s. There was a movement to reform and even abolish the CIA. And there were the church committee hearings led by Senator Frank Church. Um, but, uh, you know, those, uh, they had some impact in exposing CIA abuses and leading to some reforms. But then, uh, again, those kind of senators were all pushed out. They were defeating, you know, there were heavy efforts to defeat them politically. Uh, and then there was a concerted movement to re-empower the CIA and, and executive authority, vis-a-vis Congress and its efforts to regulate the CIA and diminish its capability. And, and Reaganism as a movement was designed to you know, fortify the executive branch and revive the Cold War uh, mentality and the mentality of American exceptionalism that people had started to question in the 70s. Because like AG had influence in the 70s in raising broad uh, critique and, and questioning of the way the U.S. foreign policy was conducted and of the tenets of American exceptionalism that the, America had this duty to go around the world, you know, spreading democracy. Mm. And he was showing that they're not really spreading democracy. And a lot of people felt that way and they wanted to rein in uh, the, the so-called deep state, and they wanted to you know, establish a more uh, humane and, and, and sensible foreign policy, but th those forces were defeated. Does the CIA do any good? Uh, well, I, I think there are different branches of the CIA. Um, the, you know, the CIA and actually was set up in 1947 by the Truman administration you know, as an intelligence agency, uh, you know, so the, the U.S. would have a professional intelligence agency that, in theory, you know, with good intelligence that could prevent conflict and that could, uh, you know, once you have a better understanding of your adversary, uh, you can negotiate uh, more effectively. And I think there are many dedicated uh, CIA analysts who do present good information, but the uh, organization became corrupted and Truman himself uh, said he was horrified uh, by his own creation. And that was because the covert action arm took took over, and also because, uh, or you know, became much more influential uh, than it was intended. When it was set up, it was intended as a standard intelligence agency, but instead, this covert action arm uh, that carried out all these, uh, you know, subversion campaigns around the world, uh, sometimes funded uh, through illegal means, including off the books operation drug trafficking. Uh, that became dominant, mm. and also the intelligence became very politicized, is what you see today. So the the honest intelligence analysts, and, you know, and there are countless uh, examples throughout the history of the CIA where you have uh, honest intelligence analysts who are following good reports. Uh, a good example is a guy um, Allen in Vietnam, who was you know he was saying how strong the Viet Cong war, and you know he was basically. Uh, advocating a very cautionary position for the United States, mm. but they just like disregarded, you know, good intelligence reports and analysts got like disregarded 
in favor of more politicized stuff that you know would serve the interests of so-called military-industrial complex and the more cowboyish, uh, hawkish elements in the national security apparatus. You know, playing up the Russian threat, um, uh, things like that. You know, or underestimating the strength of the you know deliberately. Uh, deflating the strength of the Viet Cong to give the illusion that you could win the Vietnam War when that's an illusion. Or, yeah, again, things like, and we see that now, playing up the Russia threat, or like mm -hmm. with Russiagate, manufacturing uh, threats uh, or stories to demonize uh, Russia. And that was used also, like, you know, in numerous cases like Libya, Cuba, any country that the U.S. government has targeted for regime change, the intelligence agency will plant often false rumors uh, or disinformation about that government to deceive the American public to believe they have to be overthrown. An example like Gaddafi, you know, they're planting stories that he was giving his soldiers Viagra uh, <laughs> to commit rapes. And so wow. the public was told by, oh, this monster Gaddafi, we have to go in there and take him out for humanitarian reasons and save Libya. And that's the part the work of the CIA. So that you know, that's not honest intelligence. That's uh, disinformation, mm -hmm. and that's where intelligence has become thoroughly politicized and, and corrupted. And that's what happened over time. And there are some good people. I mean, we've worked with. There's a group called uh, Intelligence uh, Veteran Intelligence Professionals for Sanity, headed by Ray McGovern, uh, who's a very honorable man who worked for the CIA for many years, and was an honest analyst. And he found this organization because of what I was saying. The, the intelligence became over time so politicized and his profession was corrupted and, and he was disgusted by it. And he formed this network of uh, retired intelligence profession, professionals who try and, who want to restore the integrity of their profession and who uh, challenge whenever the government is spreading disinformation, like some of the cases I pointed out, like with Libya or Russiagate, they uh, step in and try and correct uh, the record, and they they lobby, they try and lobby for more sensible policies. But unfortunately, they're not that influential politically, but they have some impact. Yeah, but you say they've become corrupted. But I'm thinking back to the 1960s already, where uh, Mockingbird was in effect. Yeah, well, they became corrupted very quickly. Oh. Uh, after <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying they become corrupted uh, you know, last week. They became corrupted even in the Truman years. They were carrying out uh, a illegal activity like the Operation Rollback. For instance, if you look at the case of Ukraine, the CIA was, uh, you know, is currently allied with uh, fascist uh, elements like the Azov Battalion. But that goes back to the 1940s when they had an operation called Rollback uh, where they were supporting fascists to try and overthrow pro-Soviet governments in Ukraine and some other Eastern European countries. And these were outright fascists uh, who had collaborated with the Nazis and some had massacred, excuse me, Jews. And this was frankly written by a guy, Harry Rositsky, uh, who was like at the forefront of these operations, who when it came time to write his memoir, he said this directly, that we allied with these thugs. And, you know, he said, and another guy, James Kellis said, you know, our view was warped by the Cold War mentality, and we support any gangster as long as he was not a communist. So even the CIA operatives themselves came out and said this and admitted that they allied with these horrible uh, people, fascist groups in Europe, and this was in the late 1940s. So I think from the beginning, the Cold War 
mentality, uh, you know, warped the, the purpose of the agency was, I mean, every country wants to have a professional intelligence agency, and a good intelligence agency can lead to effective diplomacy, but uh, and so the, the purpose behind the CIA was, was legitimate, but very quickly uh, in its history, largely because of the Cold War and the military-industrial complex, uh, it became corrupted, and and from the its ince uh, inception, uh, carried out immoral, unethical, and often blatantly illegal mm. activities. One of the reasons why you and I are chatting is because of that very interesting article on on Covert Action magazine about Marilyn Monroe, um, and I think the conversation about her is actually just a proxy for so many other conversations, really. Let's just chat a little bit about that because it is a very interesting story. The, the, the official narrative forevermore, I mean, I looked it up today, actually, and the official story is that she, she overdosed. She committed suicide. Yeah, I, I don't think that's uh, tenable. Uh, I mean, the, the evidence is very clear that it was a murder. This was recognized right away by the first police officer on the scene the name of Jack Clemens, and he saw uh, there were a number of signs right away. Uh, firstly, the housekeeper was doing laundry, uh, which was very, very odd. Uh, secondly, it was clear she had been dead for many hours, uh, and there's a question right away why they hadn't called the police. You know, it took hours for them to call the police, uh, and they claimed, I think they were, I don't know, calling various Hollywood producers or something, but if somebody just overdosed, you immediately call the police, uh, and these are supposed to be her friend. You know, the people in the house was her housekeeper, her psychiatrist was there, her doctor. Uh, so it was just uh, extremely suspicious. And then the other thing is that the body, you know, clearly had been moved. And, you know, rigor, he was an expert, uh, and, and rigor mortis had set in, which indicated a time of death was numerous hours before. And, you know, the, the police had just been called later. So, and then all kinds of things from the, the coroner's report, uh, you know, there, uh, well, another thing, you know, indicated that uh, there was no, um, I, I think there were certain injections found in her, but there was no drugs in her stomach. So if she, the overdose would have had to have been through injection. And then uh, the, this police officer, Clemens, found no water. Uh, so, you know, if she'd taken all these pills, uh, how come there was no water? You know, there's no way to... Uh, uh, to 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 she had to have water to to take the pills, and yeah, the way her body was moved and the way the body was found, you couldn't. If it was an overdose, you're not going to be found like face down, uh, the way she was lying. Uh, so, and then there are these secret tapes uh, that were found, you know, because because of her affairs with the Kennedys, uh, her apartment was had been surveilled by several different people. And so uh, investigators ultimately had access to these tapes, which indicated uh, you know struggle in the house and and people had been there before. Uh, so, and there was a, a clear interest in finding her diary uh, because there was incriminating information about her affair with the Kennedys, and that seems to be at the heart of her death. Okay, so. So what is then the counter story, the official, the official counter story? <laughs> yeah, 
Well, I, yeah, I think the, the initial story was that she died through barbiturate overdose. You know, she was depressed. Uh, mm. I think it was acknowledged that she had these affair with the Kennedys, although that you know, at the time that wasn't acknowledged, but later on it was acknowledged. And that was seemingly the source for depression because she was infatuated with Bobby Kennedy. And he initially said he was going to leave uh, his wife, Ethel Kennedy, for her, but then backtracked and was giving her the cold shoulder. And seemingly she was a bit of a troubled personality that had a lot of abortions and uh, maybe uh, would become depressed. Uh, although her career, you know, that story in part didn't make sense because her career was actually flourishing. So why would be, she be so depressed? I mean, the, the next week on her calendar, she had all these meetings. Uh, you know, she was starring in a number of movies and there were a number of other projected films. And they wanted to bring her out to Las Vegas for some shows and you know, she had just been uh, featured in uh, some major magazines on the cover, and you know, she had all this stuff going on. So I mean, she's not going to be that depressed. I mean, she's making, you know, she's making a huge amount of money. She's a, a major, you know, star, and her career is is flourishing at this point. So the depression story, you know, doesn't seem to make that much sense. And then again, all the physical evidence points immediately and uh, very clearly to most uh, objective investigators to a clear murder. And the case, you know, the, the question becomes who murdered her. And, I mean, one theory is that they tried to, the mafia, CIA, had it in for her, that they tried to set up the to make it look like Bobby Kennedy was behind it. Um, and that, you know, they were going to use the diary as kind of leverage against Kennedy because it did point to their affair the diary, but but the you know this book, uh, Bombshell, by uh, a new book by um, Mike Rothmiller came out. Mike Rothmiller was an LAPD uh, uh, investigator. You know he worked for the LAPD for numerous years, and then he wrote some books about the corruption within the LAPD. Uh, and in this new book, yeah, he recounts an interview he had with Peter Lawford, who was a part of the Rat Pack and was an actor who had been married to Pat Kennedy and very close with Bobby Kennedy. And Lawford gave a confession to Rothmiller before he died, saying it was Kennedy. And yeah, I, I think the evidence was clear that, because Bobby Kennedy initially claimed he was not in L.A. that weekend, but there was a lot of evidence uh, that emerged uh, that indicated indeed he was, and that he fled that night to San Francisco. And even a police officer had stopped him near the airport driving the wrong way, Lawford and Kennedy in the back, they were trying to get out of town. Uh, and there were some phone calls, and some neighbors had spotted Kennedy uh, near Monroe's apartment that day. So Kennedy emerges as a you know, strong suspect, given that the uh, diaries would have would have been a disaster uh, if exposed, because it not only would have exposed their affairs, but would have ex exposed state secrets that he had been telling Marilyn and Pillow Talk. And she like had written a diary about assassination, like assassination of the Dominican dictator Rafael Trujillo, uh, and stuff with the Castro on the Bay of Pigs, and how mm -hmm. Bobby Kennedy was central to that. And with Diem in, in Vietnam, the Viet South Vietnamese leader, and had they had a plan to get rid of him. Uh, so this, this was all very damning to the Kennedys. Uh, that Kennedy obviously didn't want to expose. And Marilyn said she was going to have a press conference. Uh, because she was angry that Bobby had you know, dumped her and she was going to tell all. And that would have ruined, uh, one author said this would have been like Watergate and it would have ruined the Kennedy. And, you know, Jack Kennedy might have had to resign and Bobby, you know, was being groomed to replace Jack and he would never become president. And then Lawford gave this confession to uh, 
Roth Miller uh, that it was Bobby, you know, that they'd gone to the apartment that afternoon and he was trying to get the diary and there was some kind of struggle. And then he, you know, uh, uh, Lawford believed with Kennedy who gave her something in a drink, you know, had to drink some water and that may have been the poison. Mm. Um, but then others, the other theory is that Lawford was threatened by, you know, it may have been the mafia CIA. Uh, well, well uh, what came out in the Roth Miller book there's evidence that Bobby and the Kennedys did have strong connection with both the CIA and the mafia through Joe Kennedy, the father, who had been a bootlegger. Uh, so we know Bobby Kennedy had mafia connections. So somebody could have given him the poison, or he could have, you know, somebody could have come in the apartment because some of the tapes, uh, 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 you know, revealed sounds of people, you know, rummaging through the apartment uh, after it seemed Kennedy had left. Uh, so you know, possibly one of these mafia thugs came in and delivered the coup de grace that, that led to Marilyn's death. But according to Lawford's testimony, it was Bobby Kennedy. And he was, I guess, kind of shocked because he didn't know Bobby had it in him. But, you know, uh, he would do anything, I guess, to try and advance his, or protect his political career. So that's the, the thesis based on the Lawford um Confession and the surveillance, the uh, these um, surveillance tapes, uh, and all that we know about the case. That's Rothmiller's conclusion. Uh, again, some authors believe maybe the mafia CIA was behind and trying to set up Kennedy would be the alternative. But I don't think there's any plausibility behind the claim that Marilyn committed suicide. I think it's 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 pretty firmly established that she was murdered. The lead suspect. I would say Bobby Kennedy with strong evidence against him with a possibility that he was set up and that it was it was the CIA mafia trying to set him up and make it look like he did it. And he what had to cover think, his tracks. Yeah, what do you what think happened? actually happened then? Yeah, so what do you actually think happened? Uh, it's hard to know for sure. I, I was convinced by Rothmiller's evidence and the Lawford confession. I mean, you have to look at motive. Who, who stood to benefit? And it's clear that the Kennedys stood to benefit from her death because the diary and the press conference would have ruined them because the, the exp you know, at that time the Kennedys had this kind of pristine image and their womanizing was not, was covered up. Uh, and this was a kind of different era of American politics, you know, before Bill Clinton, uh, his philandering, uh, and, you know, mores were a little different at that time. So this, this, the, the affair in itself would have been very damaging, but especially I think what was in those diaries about these assassination and, you know, Bobby was like bragging about having connections with, with organized crime that he could order people's deaths and that, that these, you know, um, scandalous things going on, like the assassination of the Dominican leader, the yeah. uh, removal of Diem in South Vietnam. They're saying, oh, the, the, we're not going to make a place for him here in the United States. And, and they're even talking about escalation in Vietnam, which contradicts the idea that the Kennedys were pacifists and killed, that John yeah. was killed because he was going to end the Vietnam War. I always felt that was a myth. Because I, I think the Kennedys were pr pretty, you know, I mean, I think... What you have in American politics is these like powerful family, you know, the Clintons, the Bushes, the Kennedys, and I think there's an illusion that the Kennedys, especially, were, you know, more more liberal and and, and humane. I think it's a ruthless power struggle, you know, what you have in the United States, like you have in other countries. You know, it gets the issue of American exceptionalism because Americans think you know, their democracy is 
is is greater or more pure than other countries. But what you see are these kind of you know clans that are very powerful and very ruthless in trying to achieve and, and obtain power. And I think the Kennedys were no different than the Bush clan or the, or the Clinton clan, who would use all kinds of uh, dirty and unethical and illegal and immoral things to gain power and would even kill people. So I can believe it. I, I think the evidence is strong. Uh, but again, the Kennedys did have enemies that would try and, and make them look bad. Um, so, uh, you know, there's a possibility they were set up, but I, I think it wasn't beyond them to carry out the killing, even of this beautiful uh, sex goddess. And, uh, you know, she was a great, uh, from what, uh, you know, testimony that came out, I mean, she was maybe a bit troubled, but she seemed to be a genuinely more decent, you know, kind of person. You know, was trying to make it in a, a ruthless world of Hollywood, and she was obviously, you know, beautiful woman and a talented actress. Uh, so it's a tragedy for her to, and singer. Uh, to die. Yeah, and it's a tragedy for her to die. And you would think, you know, how could? Uh, I mean, it, it shocked me to, that that the Kennedys could could do this. But as I read into it, and and you see the motive. I mean, the motive is there. Uh, so I, I, you know, I'm I was pretty convinced by Rothmiller's evidence. But again, I could be wrong. I mean, there, uh, there's a small chance they tried to set him up. Uh, and you know, suggest- he probably still did a lot of terrible yeah. things. But. Are you suggesting then that Bobby himself could have been the guy? Well, that's what the Rothmiller book uh, shows based on the, the uh, confession of Peter Lawford that it was canny because there, there was a fight and I think this is documented in the tape, so it, it's not ambiguous that Kennedy was there, that he had had an affair with, with Marilyn, uh, that was all this, you know, he wanted a diary so it would not be exposed, that he treated, I mean, the Kennedy, you know, treated women horribly. They just treated them like rag dolls. They used them, uh, and, uh, you know, clearly he was treating Marilyn very poorly, and there's even uh, evidence of, you know, some kind of scuffle between them in the apartment. So that we know. Um, then, you know, what Lawford said that it was Bobby who you know, said to calm her down, he got some water, but that, uh, you know, he had put something in the water, it seems. And then, you know, after she drank the water, when she passed out, because, yeah, Lawford said what happened is she drank the water, passed out. Then Lawford said, Bobby, we have to call the police. But Bobby said, no, let's go. Let's get out of here. And then they speared them off to, to flee. Uh, and took him to the airport to get to to San Francisco. So, uh, and then some other people came in after, according to the uh, surveillance tapes, and then were rummaging through the house. Uh, the the only other possibility is that she was still alive, and that uh, one of these mafia thugs came in and, and and killed her after Bobby, either because Bobby wanted that, or again maybe to try and set up Bobby, since it was no, you know, there's evidence of Bobby being there. Perhaps they were trying to set it up and use his leverage against him. Well, we have this Monroe killing. Uh, you know, you better stay loyal to us, the CIA. Like, you mm. know, Bobby, they, they, you know, was a potential future president. So, they, you know, they, they could use that as leverage over him. If he comes to power, even if he was campaigning, uh, you know, for more pacifist foreign policy, uh, they if they had these tapes on him, they could blackmail him into doing whatever they wanted. So... There is a possibility. I could believe that scenario as well. Uh, so, you know, as I say, 
you know, it's possible then that Mafia had threatened Lawford because uh, Lawford implicated Kennedy. But, um, you know, if he was threatened, uh, maybe he was part of the uh, this um, attempt again to uh, uh, to try and, um, you know, blame or uh, blame the Kennedys for this. So. You say Kennedys, but was JFK's hands clean? Uh, well, they may have been working together. I mean, both Kennedys stood to lose out of this because uh, if. If the diary went public, you know, John has had an affair uh, with Marilyn as well. And, you know, there was um, references to uh, policies John, uh, John had carried out during his presence. Again, the Trujillo killing. Now, the diary specified that with the Bay of Pig, because uh, John had, or Jack, I should refer to him as Jack, he had back, a terrible back problem, an Addison disease. Uh, and actually, Marilyn had said that because he was a very passive and bad lover. She liked Robert more because uh, he was like more, you know, considerate of her needs. Uh, Jack would just like lay there and want her to do everything. I think in part because he was uh, often in pain. Uh, and then the diary specified that uh, you know Jack was in terrible pain, so Bobby took over during the Bay of Pigs, and that's when you know the CIA got angry at the Kennedy because the Kennedys were pretty hawkish. Like Robert Kennedy had orchestrated the Operation Mongoose with was the program of the CIA to try and murder Castro, but the CIA had wanted a more uh, a stronger military response during the Bay of Pigs uh, to get rid of Castro, who was a thorn in their side. And it was it was Bobby who was in charge because, and the diary showed that uh, because Jack was uh, had these back problems, and they you know the CIA had wanted air support, more air support and bombing that they felt could have uh, led to Castro's overthrow. So that's one reason they hated the Kennedys. You know, the, uh, certain circles of the CIA wanted their removal, and maybe they blamed Bobby more than Jack. But yeah, Jack was, you know, because you know Jack was the president at the time. So a lot of the policies discussed in the diary were Jack's policies, and some were, you know, revealing you know, things that uh, shouldn't have been revealed, classified information like about Vietnam policy mm. and the plan with Ngo Dinh Diem, who was the U.S. puppet leader in South Vietnam, who they're planning to uh, remove. Uh, that was discussed with Marilyn. It was in the diary. So Marilyn was threatening to go public. It would it would be a major scandal for uh, the Jack's presidency and possibly lead to uh, a, a forcing him to resign. And they would discredit uh, Bobby and, and really hinder his chances of becoming uh, Jack's successor, which is what they wanted. So I think the two of them are tied together. You know, both were having the affair. And I think the Kennedy clan, you know, they're a very tight clan and they work together. So, and then, you know, the, uh, Roth Miller references the uh, Chappaquiddick incident with Edward Kennedy, who is scheduled to be the, the third president in this dynasty. And, you know, he ran this girl off the road uh, and the, the family mobilized to try and cover it up and protect him and salvage his political career, career after this disaster. So that's a good indication of how the clan works mm. together to protect their own. So what happened to her diary? Uh, eventually it was exposed in the church committee hearings in the mid 70s, you know, about 12 years, I think, after it was only publicly revealed about 12 years after 12, 13 years after when the church committee hearing was investigating CIA abuses. Um, was she 
Was she smart or was she ignorant? Uh, there is an indication she was pretty smart. Now, she didn't have a high... She never uh, graduated high school. She was an orphan. Uh, or her, no, sorry. Her mother was alive, but in a psychiatric facility. I think mm. she was in numerous foster homes. Like 12. Like 12 foster she got homes married or something. Very, yeah. And she got married at a very young age um, to, I guess, escape you know, foster homes. And then she tried, you know, she had these, you know, beautiful, beautiful looks. So she, I think she started as a pinup model and then she got noticed and moved out to California. And, you know, I guess in those days, you know, you kind of slept your way to the top. Uh, she had a reputation of being promiscuous. And there were some older men who kind of took her under their wing who were uh, well-connected Hollywood operatives and started to get her into the films. But she did have a circle of left wing. Like she was married to Arthur Miller, who wrote The Crucible, was a brilliant playwright. And I think she did start hanging around with left-wing crowd in Hollywood. Uh, and, um, you know, according to testimony of some of these people, she was quite intelligent and, uh, you know, maybe sensitive. And she had more of a left-wing political outlook uh, because of her association with them and perhaps because of, you know, the, the abuses of power that she witnessed firsthand. She saw maybe how corrupt some people were uh, and how, you know, powerful people behaved. So she tended to, um, uh, you know, identify more with the, I guess, you know, downtrodden uh, in society. So. <laughs> But then I, I she think, married. Yeah, a, I, but then she married a baseball player. <laughs> yeah, Joe Dimaggio. I don't know if that. I forget if that was before or after Arthur Miller. But apparently, Dimaggio treated her the best. Like after her death, he was really concerned, trying to look into it. Um, I don't know. I think she had trouble with Miller. Yeah, maybe because she wasn't quite his level of intellectual. That the, mm. the relationship didn't go go forward that well. Where do you think her trouble started? Because you mentioned the Rat Pack earlier, and they were already not not necessarily good guys. Yeah, from what I've read, uh, I mean, she was very promiscuous, and uh, maybe you know, uh, from the books I read, they said you know she had a maybe need to belong, given her background and uh, you know the troubled childhood that she had. She kind of clung to maybe older men uh, as kind of father figures, and she had this need to. To fit in, uh, and so she submitted to these you know, powerful men, and uh, you know apparently yeah, she had like a, a, at least ten abortions because yeah she, I guess she didn't want to have kids because her career was blooming, uh, and then maybe at some point as she got older she wanted to have kids, but uh, and then at that point I think she had trouble conceiving, so and, you know she may have led a kind of troubled uh, life overall, but um, yeah a lot of the accounts do present her positively as somebody who was quite intelligent and i mean it's it's a it's a harsh world that she's trying to make it in and you know she was you know it's kind of human nature to uh, you know try and get the most out of it uh, out of uh, her career while she can so you can't fault her for that and yeah many people said they did you know have very positive recollections of her but i mean her crime was really essentially just her associations yeah i think exactly she got in bed with with the devil as they say you know the mafia mm. the cia and appeared the kennedys uh they're all kind of uh together you know i mean she she reached the elite levels of power and they used her for their own reasons her own gratification and then discarded her when uh, and willing to kill her when she became a threat 
uh, because of what she knew and because of the access she had. Some people say, why do you even care? She's just uh, another celeb. But she's sort of symbolic to some degree of the, the, the Trojan horse of the CIA and, and, the, and, and the cover-up narrative, surely. Yeah, and I think it's maybe the dark side of the American dream. You know, all the glamour of, of politics mm. and Hollywood in this story and the Kennedys and her. And, you know, they look so glamorous and they, they perform so well before the cameras. But beneath it all, there's this real sinister and dark side. And, you know, she she herself was a tortured soul. Uh, and then there's the ruthlessness of these men in power and how they would use her and discard her. And once she was a threat... Uh, to their power, they they would take the ultimate step. So it's it's uh, yeah, it's a it's a disturbing yet compelling story in many ways, and it exposes yeah, the the underside of the American dream. And it kind of reminds me, you know, films like uh, with that film, the the book by Hunter S. Thompson uh, on Las Vegas uh, was a book I enjoyed. You know, and they made they made it into a movie, which kind of probes into that dark side of the American character. And the American dream uh, was it leaving Las Vegas or uh, uh, for some reason I'm drawing a blank on the title, but it's that famous book about Las Vegas by Hunter Thompson that they made into a movie with Nicolas Cage. Oh, I know the one you're talking about. Ah, uh, I've also I can't remember the name. It has Las Vegas. It's like oh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Yes, there and we go. The, yeah, it seemed like the same. You know, it's like this glamour of American life and. You know the the power lead and uh, the best and the brightest and the most beautiful and most glamorous. But then when you get beneath the surface, it's just like really dark, you know, sadistic impulses at play and, and tortured souls. She's just one of many such cover-ups, though, isn't she? Yeah. Well, uh, at Covert Action, we've been running a series on political assassinations, and in part, it kind of punctures the myth of American exceptionalism because, you know, like in our media, it's constantly, you know, like with Russia, we're constantly told, oh, Vladimir Putin's a killer, and he's killed all his opponents, and we don't know. A lot of those stories are kind of shady, and you don't know, you know, if he was set up, if uh, what happened. Uh, and but this, you know, and actually Trump, you know, that's why in his own way, you know, they, they didn't like Trump because he didn't speak the way presidents normally spoke. And, you know, there was a famous interview, I think it was Bill O'Reilly on Fox News was saying, you know, Putin's a killer. You know, why would you associate with him? And, you know, Trump says, uh, well, there are a lot of killers. We, we have our killers, too. We're not so innocent. And, you know, no American president has ever spoke like that. And, you know, I mean, that that's the truth. I mean, they're the dark side of American power. Uh, and if you, you know, if you study, if you look into it, you find there are many political assassinations in U.S. history, whether the two Kennedy boys, uh, you know, the, the, the assassination of the 60s, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, but many others. You know, our series has looked at many other cases, like Paul Wellstone uh, was a liberal senator um, from Minnesota who was opposing the Iraq war. And he was killed in a very mysterious plane crash, and there's a lot of evidence of foul play in his case. Uh, there's the case of James Forstall, the first Secretary of Defense. Uh, it was also a diary. He was going to publish his diary that may have revealed all kinds of secrets uh, and government corruption. And he was, you know, he was placed in the mental hospital, and then he mysteriously, you know, well, he claimed he jumped out, but. Uh, 
uh, jumped out of the building, but there's all kind of oddities and uh, and then that, that those are you know there are many cases that Vince Foster uh, with a very high level a government official who died uh, again it was claimed he committed suicide but the evidence uh, indicated murder uh, so and the evidence is often very clear if you look into it uh, just even a little bit. Um, the evidence become just like in the Marilyn Monroe case. It's obvious to uh, anybody looking into it. You know, and people, witnesses, and um, you know, police who are on the scene uh, at the beginning that there's foul play here. And so there, there are many, many cases. And again, it punctures the myth of American exceptionalism that the American political system is more morally pure than Russia or South Africa. I mean, uh, unfortunately, I think human nature is such that there's a drive for power and uh, mm. exists in a, a lot of societies uh, and unfortunately there's a lot of corruption and violence around the world including in US politics yeah there's something very unsettling though about what what it is that you do COVID Action Magazine there's something very unsettling because it challenges <laughs> it challenges your paradigms you know you you think a lot of what's going on is what you see and you realize that okay if that if story a is actually false then it means that story b and story c and story d etc etc can also be false you know like bin laden and like so many other interesting people uh, uh martin luther king's assassination you know and so on and so forth and you start you start wondering what is actually true yeah it's a bit disturbing yeah because everything you, know, you learn from a kid down is, is false and it's disheartening i mean you know all the teacher you know you may have respected a particular teacher you had in, in high school but you know the history was telling you it was garbage or he was leaving really a lot of important things out and you kind of it, it, it's disheartening, and and you see so much evil around. I mean, yes, it's 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 hard to, and you know a lot of people can't process that, uh, mm. and that's why they you know they don't go there. You know, and I mean most of you know I worked in higher education for a long time, but they they really didn't want me teaching there and you know that kind of material to students, even though the student you know I think younger people are more eager. You know, they maybe see the world a little differently than their elders. I mean, they're still kind of young and idealistic, and maybe they're at their rebellious phase, and they they mm. look askance at some of uh, their elders. So when they hear a story of corruption, uh, uh, you know, or, or they're more open-minded. But as people get older, as they're invested more in the system, they kind of uh, turn away from that. They say, oh, it's not going to lead any anywhere mm. good for me to to probe into that or you know i have my place in the system now so i'm not going to rock the boat too much and uh so they shun it and you know they they really you know whether it's the media whether it's academia i think they try and actively suppress these kind of critical investigations or analysis and yeah really challenge the fundamental paradigm of society um and it's again it, it there's so much evil at play and so much deception that it, it is very disturbing to learn about and know about but it is better to know where can people follow you uh yeah you can go to www.covertactionmagazine.com 
C-O-V-E-R-T-M-A-G-A-Z-I-N-E.com. And yeah, we're also looking for new writers, you know, new exposés, uh, including, yeah, from Africa or South Africa, uh, so we can broaden the scope of our magazine. So you can email me if you have a story idea uh, or would like to write an article for us at jkuzmarov2 at gmail.com. Jeremy Kuzmarov, thank you for joining me in the trenches. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. My name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.